Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Went in and kind of like walked in like this. <laughs> uh, and it was a really fancy, really fancy art shop. It's dead nice. And, um, and they showed us this piece of art. Uh, I'm not, I don't know about it. I like art that looks like photos. So like impressionistic art, I'm like, uh, really? Unless it's really amazing. But if a piece of art looks like a photo, I'm blown away. Like I'm absolutely the craftsmanship of it. So we see this one, this one picture and it's beautiful. It's, um, it's this amazing scene. And, uh, and, then she t- and then the lady tells us, who's taking us around, she says, this was actually painted on glass. And I say, oh, cool, glass. Great, love glass. Uh, and then she, I'm not really understanding what she's meaning by it. And she says, so you understand he paints everything in the foreground first. And I was like, okay. So I went and watched a video of him doing it. So he puts his arm under the glass and he paints everything, the foreground first. So he can't cover anything up. He can't change anything. It's, so if he draws a little bird, that's it. So if it's bad and wrong, he has to bin it, okay? And then, so you took it off the wall. They had one original. She takes it off the wall and shows us the back. And we have a picture of it. And this is the back of the painting, okay? You can see it's beautiful, this little section cut out of it. It's amazing. No, it's not. It sucks. I could do it, right? <laughs> so that's the very back of this painting. And it's just kind of like... I mean, it's good, but it's, not, it's nothing special because it's the last thing that he's painted in, yeah? And now this is the front of the painting. I hope you can see it in some of its glory. Amazing. How fantastic is that? Yeah? So why am I showing you this random painting with the detail and the intricacy put in first? Well, today we're looking at this story, okay, of these two disciples who were after Jesus's been crucified and it's three days later and they've been in Jerusalem and they're not like the apostles, they're two, clear passing this other disciple is their name, likely his wife and they left Jerusalem to go walk to Emmaus and they're walking along this road discussing who Jesus was, what did it all mean, what was going on. The reason I show you this is that it feels to me like they were looking at the back of this painting trying to figure out what it was and they needed Jesus to come and turn the painting around and show them who he is and show them the detail and the intricacy and everything that is put in in scripture about who he is. So the scripture says this. So the same day, the two of them were walking to a village called Emmaus. I hope you can read that. Should have been a bit bigger, but I hope so. The two of them were walking to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Side note, isn't it funny how when we experience pain and difficulty that we say to the person who knows better than anyone what's happened, do you even know? (laughs) Sorry. What things, he asked, that's not the talk, so... Leave that. What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet. Key verse. He was a prophet. 
powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it is the third day since this all took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. He said to them empathetically, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Key verse. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? Our prayer for this week, for tonight, has been... Lord, cause our hearts to burn within us as we look at the scriptures together. Let it burn, like our hearts burn within us as we look at the scripture. So, we are going to go around the Bible. I was going to do the whole Old Testament, not going to, we're just going to do a bit. So, he starts off and says, They say to him, We thought he was a prophet. We thought he was a prophet. There are, lo- there are ample examples in the Bible of people seeing Jesus for less than he is. And as far as I can tell, he can't abide it. <laughs> yeah? So with these two disciples, they say, Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. In John four nineteen, he meets with the woman at the well. She says, sir, the woman, uh, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. It's like, I can see you are a prophet. And then later she says, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. It's like as soon as she saw who he was, he said, I who is speaking to you am he. He So yes, he was a prophet. He saw things that were going on. He spoke about the future. He was a prophet, but was that all he is? John 3, 2, a Pharisee called Nicodemus is talking to Jesus. He says, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Rabbi, we know you are a teacher. Maybe that's where you are. Jesus, you're a teacher. You tell me what to do. You tell me what not to do. Yes, he was a teacher. He taught. Was that all he was? Was that all he was? He's a leader. He shows us how to lead. He was, a vi- was that all he was? No. So who do you think Jesus is? That question really matters. Who do you think Jesus is? Who do I really think Jesus is? Now Jesus isn't, doesn't have issue with that question because he doesn't take issue with it because he's like, oh, you don't know who I am? You don't know who I am? It's because he wants us to desperately to know the Father. He desperately wants you to come into a relationship with God the Father. To not see him for all that he is, to not see him for who he is, is to miss the Father, and he, and that pains him. John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, "If you really knew me, 
you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So when we see Jesus, when you really see Jesus, you see the father and that's what he wants for you. Jesus wanted these two disciples to see the painting the right way round. He went to Emmaus, he walked to Emmaus for no real reason. The two disciples that weren't apostles, random disciples like you and me, to show them, to turn the painting around and say, this is me, look at the intricacy, look at the detail that was put in the foreground first. Our mission, the mission at Ivy Church is to help you find your way back to God and to help those around you find your way back to God. Jesus, on the road to Emmaus, went himself to help these two disciples find their way back to God. So Luke 24 tells us that he starts with Moses. I was going to try and go through the whole Old Testament, but no. But I will talk about Moses because that's where he started. And we can have a go and see what Jesus might have said, what he could have maybe, some, a, a picture that he could have shown. So when he brings the, the picture around in the foreground, the story of Moses, he could have shown a picture of a lamb. Could have shown the picture of the lamb from story of Moses. So we're going to look at that. So I read a thought experiment recently that I found quite interesting, Okay. Not a very nice one, but imagine that I punched you in the face. Okay, imagine that I punched you in the face, and there's no backstory, nothing. There's no any provocation. I just have, yeah. So the the author of this thought experiment has said that that opens up what's called a, what he's called a moral gap between us that needs to be bridged. Otherwise, there will always be a gap. Yeah. So in the moment that I punch you. You are made righteous because you have been wronged and I am unrighteous because I've done it. Yeah? So that a need therefore has opened up for something to close the moral gap. So who, who, was, here, who was here last week for Matt's talk? I don't know Matt was. Yeah? So Matt... <laughs> so, so Matt spoke about the story from Luke 7 where Jesus is having dinner at a Pharisee's home named Simon and, um, and in the middle of the meal, this known sinful woman comes brazenly approaches Jesus in the middle of the table. She comes up to him and she begins to, she, she weeps at his feet. She pours out expensive perfume on him. She begins to wipe his, his feet with her hair and she's pouring out all of this love and this affection on him. And everyone's at the table like, and interesting, what does Simon say in his mind? If he was a prophet... So he tells him a story. Often when Jesus tells story or parables, it'll be prefaced with a statement like, then Jesus told a parable, or then Jesus told them another story, or the kingdom of heaven is like. It's interesting to me, he doesn't say that to Simon. He says in, in Luke 7, 40 to 43, I told you we're going to have a lot of scripture, so I hope you're okay with that. He said, Simon, I have something to tell you. Interesting language. It doesn't read like a story. It just reads like a, like a truth, not a metaphor. It's like, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. He said, two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii. That's a day's wages, so 500 days' wages. And the other 50, 50 days' wages. Now, neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon, I have something to tell you. Two men owed a debt. That's the, that's the key bit in the story. Two men owed a debt. And Matt did a great job last week of explaining to us what that meant at the time. So when I look at the picture, the reason I mention that is that when I look at the story of the Passover and the story of the lamb, 
It's a story of two men owing a debt. In, in the story of the Exodus, the two men, their names would be the nation of Egypt and the nation of Israel. Two men owed a debt. So we could argue that Egypt at this time, had, as they had Israel enslaved and they were, they were pressing them, that subsequently they could have the bigger debt, the 500 debt. Yeah? Israel had, uh, Egypt had the bigger debt. They'd opened up the moral gap, so to speak, between them and Israel. But the reality is that our sin, in our sin, both men owed a debt to God. And what did last week's talk say? Neither of them had the money to pay him back. It's not a story about Egypt versus Israel. Both Egypt and both Israel had fallen short of the glory of God. And that was the relationship that needs to be bridged then and the relationship that needs to be bridged now. The, the, the word to cancel the debt is carizo, which is to give grace. And we love that. Grace, yeah, yeah, all about grace. So much grace. It's great. We love grace. But the story of the lamb, the narrative of the lamb, tells us the cost of grace. Because no debt is cancelled. Debt is only paid. If I, if I don't pay my student loan 30 years after being a student, it's not, it's not cancelled. It's just someone else. You pay. You pay. That's uncancelled. They're paid. So when we look at the Passover, it's a difficult story to look at. So the the, the Passover happens. is a meal that they have um, in in the story of the Exodus where a lamb is taken, a lamb is, is slaughtered, and Moses tells the nation of Israel to do this because in, in a series of plagues that God has sent in order to release Israel from under the oppression of Egypt, the, the story of the Passover occurs at the last one, which is essentially what's called the destroyer comes and comes through Egypt and every family in Egypt, the firstborn son will be taken, would die that night, except for the lamb except for the blood of the lamb. That's the only thing that stopped it. So essentially, the, the, they would have to take the lamb, they would slaughter in a certain way, they had a ritual with the meal, they had bread, they had wine, and they took the blood of the lamb and they, had to, and they painted the doorposts so that when the night came, what would happen was the destroyer would come and would see the blood on, and would pass over the house. So with this... With, with this power that would come through the whole of Egypt, the only thing that stood between it was the lamb. You could say that God did this to close the moral gap between Israel and Egypt, that Egypt had wronged and mistreated Israel and they were getting what they deserved, but that's missing the significance of the lamb. That's missing the significance of the narrative of the lamb. You see, understand this, God is no respecter of persons. In Exodus 12, 22, it says, Moses says to the Israelites, not one of you should go out of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and strike you down. What that means is, it's just the lamb. It's only the lamb that saves. That's it. There's, not, there's, no, there's no other differentiation. It's the lamb. We pay or someone else pays. The debt must be cancelled, but in the story, 
of the Exodus, in the story of the lamb, it's the debt is paid by the lamb of God. And the meal that they then had, that Israel had, they would continue to have this meal like, annually as a celebration, as a festival to remember what God had done. So they would continue to have it. And the story of this in the book of Exodus is how the Exodus is how God delivered Israel out from the Egyptians. Right? Luke 9, 30 to 31. Scripture. Stay with me. Jesus ascends the Mount of Transfiguration where he's praying and his face is changed and his clothes become bright as a flash of lightning. He meets with Moses. This is now in the New Testament. Jesus meets with Moses and Elijah who appear in glorious splendour talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which the word actually there is exodus. So he's talking about his death, but of his exodus, which he was about to bring to fulfilment in Jerusalem. So the word used for the departure is exodus. So the story of Jesus, what he's turning around to these two disciples on the road to show them the story of the, of the lamb, is that he's not playing Moses in this exodus. He's playing the lamb. He's playing the lamb of God. And in, the, in this exodus retelling, our slavery was largely internal. Slavery to sin and separation from God. They'd expected a warrior king to rise up, to come and destroy the Romans and liberate them. But it was inside them. The slavery was inside them. And they thought that was what they needed. But what they needed was a lamb. And thank God that he sent a lamb. You see, Jesus went to Emmaus to show these two disciples the truth that, that John the Baptist had seen in John 1.29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He had to show them that. Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples the night before he died. He said in Luke 22:15 to 16, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfilment in the kingdom of God. You see, when we sing, your promises never fail. It matters that they're fulfilled. Promises matter that they're fulfilled. A promise made is, is great. A promise kept and fulfilled matters. A promise kept and fulfilled. Otherwise, why are we here? Why are we doing this? We're doing it all because it's fulfilled, because the Passover finds its fulfilment in Christ. Because the the exodus of our internal slavery finds its fulfilment in Christ. Sorry, I do get, I do shout, I do shout. But it's just to help you remember. (laughs) When he had the Passover with his disciples, there's all the components of the meal. There's the bread that they would have at the Passover. There's the wine that they would have at the Passover. But Jesus changes it. He says, this, is, this bread is my, is, is my body broken for you. This is wine. This is my blood shed for you. And at the meal they have, there's no lamb. They don't have lamb. They don't have a lamb because Jesus is the lamb. But when, when he died, he, he, they didn't break any of his bones because it had to be a lamb without spot or blemish. His, in, in Matthew, I think it is, 
It says that you die between the sixth and the ninth hour. You died at twilight, which was when the lamb had to be slaughtered according to the Mosaic tradition. He was the lamb. He was the fulfillment of the lamb. Behold the lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. The debt that, was, that we've mentioned was born out of the rebellion and mistrust of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And this, this parallel was, was written about by Tom Wright, and it's just beautiful. We are still talking about Emmaus. This is just something that Jesus could have shown them, as he took far better than I can show you. But this is something he could have shown them when he turned the picture around. The first meal described in creation is in Genesis 3, 6 to 7, after beautiful descriptions of the first man and woman walking around freely with God in the cool of the day. It's a picture of Jesus. Imagine Jesus walking through the garden in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. And then the, the serpent comes and they eat this meal together. The, Genesis 3, 6, 7, the, the woman took some of the fruit and ate it. She gave it to her husband and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. They knew that that relationship that they enjoyed with Jesus, the relationship they enjoyed with the Father was broken. They knew that. At that point, the debt began. That What separated us, that gap began then. And then here in Luke 24, Jesus, after Jesus has another walk with another man and woman, Cleopas and his wife, after he's revealed who the Christ was in the scriptures to them, with the best sermon ever, he's you've got Jesus showing them who Jesus is through the whole Bible. We see the first meal of the new creation, the first, the first meal of resurrection life meal with Jesus. Luke 24, verse 3, he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. How perfect is God? In Genesis 3, the eyes of both of them were opened and they saw they were naked. They saw they were separated. Here, their eyes were opened and they recognised Jesus. They recognised Jesus. It's perfect. The word of God is perfect. It's absolutely perfect. They'd started their journey with this weak lessening of who Jesus was, with their rational minds trying to think, oh, you know, when we were singing before, you're never going to let me down, you're never going to let me down. I've taken issue with that song because sometimes we feel let down. Sometimes there's many times these disciples felt unbelievably left, let down. We had hoped that he would be the one that would redeem Israel. We'd hoped, I'm le Jesus let me down. Jesus let me down. And he went with them to say, I'm not just another one of the prophets. I'm the fulfillment of everything that God has spoken. I fulfill everything that God has spoken. Jesus turned the painting round for these disciples. In 
Jesus turned the painting around for the disciples. He, he takes them through the scriptures. So imagine them going through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, David, Solomon, the prophets, going through everything, everywhere that he's mentioned, he shows them. And it's only a seven mile walk. It's not even long. Just zip through. <laughs> and they say later, did not our hearts burn within us? I want my heart to burn within me when I read this more than it does. I want my heart to burn within me and to see the truth and to be utterly convinced that what Ephesians 2, 8, verse 9, 8 to 9 says, for it is by grace that you have been saved. It is by charizo that you have been saved. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. You did not pay your own debt. You didn't and you can't. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. The lamb is the gift of God, not by work so that none can boast. When Jesus spoke of the Exodus, he said he would bring it to fulfilment. Fulfilment matters. It doesn't matter that a promise is made, even half as much as it matters that a promise is kept. Last bit of scripture. Understand this, Isaiah 55, 8 to 11. God is way higher than us. He sees things we have no idea of. He is the master painter who put all the detail in the foreground for you to see it so that when you open this and you look and you look in it, you can see all of the detail that he put in. Everything he put in about himself is in here and we'll never come to an end of it. He says in Isaiah 55, 8 to 11, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Jesus was what he desired. Jesus was what was desired all through the Old Testament. He's the fulfilment of everything. He's the accomplisher of everything that you want in your life. He's the entirety of it. And there is nothing additional that I need. There is nothing else that I need. And so often I forget that. And looking at this and going through this has just slightly brought me back to seeing it. Because I'm stubborn but his word has gone out from his mouth. So often I take that verse and go, oh Lord, do something else, do something new for me. Do, I need this, help me with that, fix that. Give me a word that will carry me through it. He's given me a word, he's given me enough. He's given me more than enough and it's all fulfilled in Jesus. I'm not someone that believes that God doesn't work in our lives anymore. I believe, I believe 100% in the prophetic, 100%. I know that God still speaks, I know that he still moves, I know that he's got power to transform any and every situation. I know that. But I'm also convinced that Jesus does not need to do anything else. I'm convinced that the lamb is enough. Like Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 1.20, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Every promise he's made is yes in Christ. And so through the amen, through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God.
Jesus had an awful lot to tell those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He had an awful lot to go through to show them everywhere that he was in the Old Testament. To show them that he was the lamb. And I pray that my heart just continues more than it has to burn within me when I read his word. That's what I want. That's what I want for us. Our hearts would burn within us as Jesus, and he still does. He still can, because he's alive by his Holy Spirit. He still can open up the scriptures to us like he did with those two disciples. He is the fulfillment of everything we hoped he'd be. Even when we feel let down, he, he is with us. He is for us. So maybe you've been struck by the idea that there's a debt that we can't pay ourselves. It's very countercultural. It's very much not what we think is true nowadays. That I understand that. I hope that that's not too big of an offence and a stumbling block to you to understand the actual beauty and liberation of the fact that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. I hope that's not too big of a stumbling block to you to behold the Lamb of God. I really hope that because it is the most liberating truth of my life. That is the foundation of everything I try to live. So if you've, if you've come and you, didn't, and you didn't know that, then maybe, maybe you needed to hear the, those John the Baptist words, behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God, that there is nothing there's nothing that he isn't. He's everything you ever wanted. He's everything you ever hoped he would be. And so much more. So I'll do that. If you guys can close your eyes. If there's, if there's anyone here that wants to say, I want to behold the Lamb of God. I want to see, I want to see the Lamb of God. I want, to, I, want to, I want to invite Jesus into my life to be all that he's promised he would be. If there's anyone that's like that, I just want to invite you to, to just raise a hand. He's everything you ever hoped he would be. Thank you, Jesus. It's okay. He's the fulfillment of everything we've ever hoped for. I'll just wait for another few seconds. Fantastic. So Jesus has bought your life at a price and he wants you to know freedom and relationship with him. Maybe you've just been seeing him as a teacher or but if your heart's been burning within you tonight as we look to the scriptures and through Jesus' life, maybe, maybe, maybe you felt that it's not burning within you. Maybe you felt that it's just kind of a, a dim flame and you're finding it hard to get into the scriptures. You're finding it difficult to see him. And what you want is to recognize him 
as those two disciples did. Maybe, maybe that's your prayer tonight, that you want your eyes to be opened and to recognise him again. If that's you, will you raise your hand? You want to re- recognise Jesus again? Thank you, Jesus. Fantastic. Thanks, you guys. So what we would, what we would love to do now, you, know, go, you guys, after, after the service, feel free, please come for prayer. We'd love to pray with you. There's a bunch of people here that can. But now, I'd love for Tim to come up and take us through communion. I think it would be really, really special and really important if we do that together. So, thank you. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org media.